Hi, everyone. Welcome to Main Street UCI, the podcast that talks about all things Disney. I'm Jennifer. I am Zen the Bored. I am David the Restless. Ooh, and I am Emily the Excited. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. That's promising. (laughs) We know where our energy source is going to come from today. Right? (laughs) Still me, but at least Emily's excited. (laughs) It's a lot of pressure, guys. All right. So on today's show, we're sharing ideas of fairy tales and folk stories we'd love to see turned into the next Disney classics. And these are stories that come from all over the world, passed down from generation to generation. And so as we share these, we want to make sure that the we want to make the distinction that we'd want Disney to treat these with the care and respect that they deserve, especially since some of these are coming from different cultures, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, and in in some instances, we think that change is good. I mean, it is Disney after all, and the Snow Queen has actually turned out to be a good guy. Um, it's great that Ariel ends up with Prince Eric instead of turning into sea foam, and while he lives have happily ever after with someone else. But uh, but these are stories we'd like to see told with reverence to the original form, right? And that's an interesting point, Zen, because I think that for me. If we're suggesting Disney fairy tales that we would like to see uh, turned Disneyfied, I don't think that Disneyfied quite has the the connotation that it once had, especially with all of the Tim Burton stuff that Disney's mm. doing right now. A, a couple years ago, they came out with Alice in Wonderland that was Tim Burtonified, and I actually really like that. And so I think that it wouldn't be entirely out of the question to suggest that Disney Tim Burtonify say a Grimm's brothers fairy tale. And the one that I am suggesting is called the three snake leaves princess. It is a Grimm's brother fairy tale, the original fairy tale. And this is a bit, pardon the pun, grim. (laughs) So it might have to be lightened up just a little bit. But the original fairy tale is about a princess from a far off land who decides that the only prince that she wants to marry is a prince who, when she dies, is willing to go to the grave with her. Whoa. Okay. That's hard (laughs) There is one boy, one prince that steps forward and says, okay, whatever happens, whatever, whichever one of us dies first, I will follow you into the grave and lay with you in your grave. As it would happen, the princess falls ill and dies and the boy must follow her into her grave. He doesn't kill himself, but he goes down and sort of waits for hunger, exhaustion, uh, thirst to set in so that he can actually die. Again, quite grim. And then he finds three magical leaves that bring her back to life, but then she doesn't love him anymore. And I don't really want to spoil everything. I know, right? It's so sad. And again, this is why I think it could be better suited to someone of the likes of Tim Burton rather than a very traditional 
Disney princess renaissance film sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give the rest of it away, partially because I've been talking for quite a while and partially <laughs> because if you're interested in the fairy tale, I more than recommend you go look it up. But I think it's very interesting and might be well suited to something like that. Something just a little bit offsetting and eerie. So would you do like, like a it. live action version of it or would you do like Tim Burton, but maybe kind of like, this isn't Disney, but like Corpse Bride or something like that. You know, that's actually a really interesting question. And I think I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts based on oh. what you've heard as well. But as, as far as the sort of live action stuff goes, a la Alice in Wonderland and stuff like that, I'm not a huge fan. I'm not mm. a huge fan of that aesthetic. Not because I don't like Tim Burton's kind of style, but more because even today, the stuff in Alice in Wonderland just looks kind of fake. I don't think it's going to date very well. Mm -hmm. As far as stop motion claymation goes, I think that's a better choice. But I think that it could be communicated even better with traditional animation. Hmm. Has Tim Burton done traditional animation? I don't think he has. And that could be very, very interesting to see if he'd be willing to work on something, a project like that, to make it traditional animation. That being said, I'm not going to scoff at stop motion claymation too, especially with a whole different number of things that he could do with that sort of aesthetic. I'm totally down. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, do you guys have a, a, a preference in, in Tim Burton's style for a stop motion or a live action aesthetic? I think when you were explaining it, or not explaining it, but telling the story um, that you would wanted to see Tim Burtonified, Disneyfied, I only kind of imagine it as a stop motion claymation. Um in as mm. a corpse bridey nightmare before Christmas kind of style, but I not yeah. but and I, I mm-hmm. wasn't I don't know why I said but and um, I also agree with you, David. I'm not a huge fan of his live action things just because it's kind of too out there for me to be believable or like mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just it's not as enjoyable for me. Stop motion claymation. It's not super. It's very Tim Burtony in my mm-hmm. mind. So I yeah. would like to see it in that version. Cause that's just what I was imagining. But since he hasn't done any traditional animation, that would be very cool to see how it would be like Tim Burton, but like traditional animation. Yeah. And to piggyback off that for a second, I think that what you're hitting on Emily is that for me, I think the part that doesn't quite look so well with Tim Burton's live action films is I don't think and this is potential for disagreement, I don't think that he does a very good job mixing CGI figures with live actors. Mm. Like the CGI figures look really weird next to the live actors, and I just don't think it works very well. But that's just me. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Tim Burton. Okay. And... I feel like, and it may not be entirely his fault, um, but first of all, the original content that he's created, I've loved. Um, But when he has been asked to um, 
essentially reinvent um, something that has already existed and that is cherished. Um, in other words, uh, like, for example, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or mm-hmm. Alice mm-hmm. in Wonderland. I don't necessarily feel like he brings anything to the table necessarily. All I feel is just like, oh, he's made it with weird Tim Burton aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost becomes off-putting. You know? Yeah, it, yeah. So, like for example, one of my so so Corpse Bride loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll uh, you know um, Nightmare Before Christmas loved it. Big Fish. Okay, now Big Fish is not a reimagining of something else. It's um, it is from a book, I believe, but brilliant. I mean, it was brilliant, you know. Mm-hmm. And but when it comes to things that he's re like a remake, I just feel like oh, it's a Tim Burton aesthetic on top of something beloved to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that's my love hate. So in this particular case, um, it's something new. And I don't think I would find it off-putting because it's it's his to own from the beginning. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah. And and but again, once again, um, but for a fairy tale, I think most of his stuff when it it's like a uh, animation, I, I prefer. I like I, if you were just telling us, I, I think the animation would be better. Uh huh. Do you really quick? Do you think Zen that your distaste for his reimagining of certain works is down to your prior? belovedness of that work or do you think it's just his interpretation or a mix of both you know what there's some things that um i love okay for example i love charlie and the chocolate factory and Mm -hmm. i was not fond of his version on the Mm -hmm. other hand i'm indifferent to alice in wonderland and i disliked his version Mm mm-hmm you know, I, I don't mm. hate or love Alice in Wonderland, but when I saw his version, it's like, this brings nothing to the party. Yeah. Huh. So, so yeah, it might be I a mix agree. of both. Um, maybe a little. Oh, well, it's depending, you know, if it's a, yeah, if it's, yeah. I mean, I just don't feel his re, okay. And once again, I don't think it's his fault. You know, someone offers him a paycheck and lots of people do love him. Yeah. But people, once again, it's just like, Whenever they bring him something to redo, it's reimagined with his aesthetic, and it doesn't. I when I think you're going to remake something, you should do something that adds to the story, sure, or makes it better, or elab- if nothing else, elaborates upon it. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, like I liked the other re, um, like for example, I thought the Cinderella. I liked the Cinderella. I liked the other live action Disney films. But like when you put the, his aesthetic in it, I guess maybe when he adds this aesthetic to something, it doesn't bring anything to the party. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it better. It just makes it different. It almost I, makes okay. it like, this is the flavor of it. It's like his own flavor, you know, like for Alice in Wonderland, I totally agree. It's like Alice in Wonderland is supposed to be just this weird, like stuff mutates before your eyes kind of thing in the book. And then the Disney movie or the animated movie, I should say. And then the Tim Burton version is just almost like it takes certain things and just makes it unsettling when it's supposed to be more of like a, like a curiouser and curiouser sort of thing, you know? Right. So I agree. It just, it, it makes it like take on his form. It's almost like if you have an artist that like, 
you know, paints different Disney characters or something, but they're always in their particular style. Right. I feel yeah. like that's kind of how his movies end up. Yeah. Okay. And, and they, I mean, I guess what it is is that, like, uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a, another one. It's like Trent Reznor is the, the band Nine Inch Nails. I wouldn't uh, want to hear. I wouldn't want to hear Beethoven in a Nine Inch Nails matter. <laughs> okay, you know what I mean. It might be yeah. cool. <laughs> it, it might be interesting. And there are a couple things that he's done that are reinterpretations. I mean, and on occasion, reinterpretations are fine. I mean, I think um, uh, Trent Reznor did a great job of Hurt by Johnny Cash. But for the most part, you don't really. You just like, but he brought something to the party. Oh wait, actually, Johnny Cash did. Vice versa. I'm sorry. Johnny Cash did Nine Inch Nails Hurt. It's the other way around. Anyways, um, <laughs> but but I guess what it is is if you're going to do it differently, bring something to the party. Mm-hmm. You know, and his aesthetic doesn't necessarily bring something to the party when he. Anyways, no, I, no, I understand I, what you're saying. I, I, explained, sure. I mean, I'm over explaining now. Is what I'm saying. Anyways, <laughs> that's all right. Well, yeah, I totally follow that as well, Zen. That's why, like, when David was explaining it, I immediately was just thinking stop motion claymation because, like, the mm-hmm. live action stuff's just meh to yeah. me. Yeah, okay. yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Okay. So, so and actually, by the way, did anyone see the Tim Burn exhibit when it was in L.A.? Oh uh-uh. no, I was not aware there was an exhibit. Yeah, it was probably about a decade ago, but it was amazing. It was just amazing. It showed all of his, um, like, like his. You could see where as it, they brought out stuff. I believe that he did in school. Oh wow! Even like oh, in grad school is, or college or whatever. Awesome. Wow! And you could see that he was developing his own aesthetic and style, and that's what he brought to the animation world. And I think it's wonderful. And it was just so cool. Um, I even have some of the guides still around, floating around. Um, mm-hmm. But an amazing exhibit shows you a little bit about the mind of Tim Burton. And once again, it's this love-hate. I do love a lot of his work. I mean, it's like a 50-50. And, it, it, and there's nothing kind oh, that's okay. It's either I love it or I hate it. So, mm-hmm. hmm. Anywho. All right. Well, that let us down a rabbit hole. But, um... <laughs> right? Um, well, so... Um, so so who's uh who's next? Emily, do you want to uh, yeah. go ahead and share yours? Yeah, sure. Okay. So I came across this fairy tale called The Four Skillful Brothers. It's a German fairy tale um and it was collected by the brothers Grimm, but it's not as grim as some of their other works maybe. Uh but it's essentially it's it's just kind of interesting. I would like to see d- how Disney would put a twist, their Disney twist on this as it's story is focused on four brothers um and so it's this poor father like a village farmer father he only has four brothers or four sons and he sends each of them out to learn uh different traits so there's one that becomes an astronomer one becomes a huntsman and one becomes a tailor and unfortunately the fourth one becomes a thief um so they go out they learn their trades they come back and uh, essentially just kind of live their lives. And then around the same time they come back home, it turns out that the king's daughter, the princess, has been kidnapped by a dragon. And so 
Um, I'm not sure in the story if the king selects these four sons to go out or if it's kind of just like a free-for-all, anyone who can save the princess. But anyways, the four brothers, they go out and try to rescue her using their own kind of tricks and trades, and they eventually bring her back. Um, and as a reward, the king was going to give the whole kingdom to whoever saved his daughter. But since it was four brothers, he decides to, um, I guess, oh, I told that wrong. Sorry. <laughs> in, in, <laughs> um, sorry. I'm like going off memory too. But so the four, the four brothers, they come back with the princess and the king was going to give her hand in marriage. That makes more sense. Very traditional. Give the princess hand in marriage to whoever rescues her. But instead, he splits the kingdom into four and gives each quarter of the kingdom to the brothers. And that's kind of how the story ends. Like the princess doesn't really have that big of a story in this fairy tale. So I'd like to see how Disney could like flesh out the princess, maybe like give her some sort of, um, I mean, in like modern Disney, how princesses, they, they become more empowered and maybe she can like figure out a way to like save herself and hmm. like kind of best all four brothers. And so she gets the kingdom to herself in return or something, something interesting like that. Just cause it focuses that I would see the story starting out on these four brothers, um, which I don't think Disney necessarily always, it's not a very dominantly male as especially like four male characters um, to start a story out. So I think that'd be interesting. And then seeing the princess come later on into the story. Mm -hmm. But what are your thoughts? Have you, have anyone heard of this fairy tale before? No, I haven't. I have not. Yeah. It's it's an interesting one. It's, it's not super um, like grim or has any, it's like the biggest conflict is saving her, from this dragon. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. I don't know. You know, it'd be very interesting. And I don't know. I, I have not read it or heard about this in depth. What if they reversed it? What if it was a brother who was uh, saving a brother from a dragon and it's four sisters? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That'd be kind of you know, cool. Role reversal. You know what I yeah. mean? It's just like four sisters and, and and it really turns storytelling. I mean, I, I really liked the last two decades where lots of storytelling. Um, it's a heroine versus a hero, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, we we've been seeing like a lot of like Tomb Raider or um, women heroes um, come about. We got like a right, you know, and. Why does it have to be about saving um, saving a sister when it could be about saving a brother? True. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Or are we going too far away from the original source? No, which I think, would be disrespectful. I think, be, I think it's nice to do, like, you know, take something and, yeah, freshen it up a bit. I mean, you know, kind of like what we mentioned at the very beginning, if we kept all stories the same. A lot of the most beloved Disney stories would be absolutely terrible. Like, oh, yeah. you know, Little Mermaid. I don't even want to mention what happens to poor Sleeping Beauty in the original. Like, it's oh, pretty yeah. bad. Right. So, um, yeah. Or even the stepsisters in Cinderella. You know, that's 
they're dancing with their toes cut off on hot coals and like oh, that's, yeah. that's not good. Yeah. yeah. That's not happy to watch. So safe to say that Disney does have a propensity for toning things down a little <laughs> bit for younger eyes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is amazing. Like you think about these stories and just wow, kids heard these tales and weren't scarred for life. Right. So, well, so here's, here's the, the question: animation or live action, Emily? Ooh, I was thinking originally when I first read it, I was thinking animation. But as I was kind of thinking about how it would play out, I like live action. I think hmm. be, yeah. Especially if it's three sisters. Yeah, that's what mm-hmm. I'm thinking. When you said the like, just kind of flipping the stories, and that's kind of when I saw it as a as a live action. Yeah, I would love to see that. I mean, I, I, I would like be it. excited. And and I tell you what, I've always loved stories uh, of strong female characters, but as uh, as a father to a daughter in the last 10 years has even become more so over the years. So, I mean, I want more of these types of roles out, positive role models out there. Anyways. Totally. All right. That is my, mine and David's share. And we've got two more from Zen, one from Zen, one from Jennifer, but we will take a quick break uh, and hear a word from our sponsor first. They're called goals for a reason. There's something to strive for. They require attention, and they need sweat and hard work to achieve. Do you have a career goal? At UCI Division of Continuing Education, we're here to help. With over 60 certificate programs available, we've helped over a quarter million students reach their goals, and we can help you reach yours too. Start today at ce.uci.edu. That's ce.uci.edu. And we're back. Let's continue the story time. Ooh, let me go get my little rug. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sitting, I'm sitting cross-legged now. <laughs> PJs, well, isn't yeah. that special? <laughs> Jen, do you want to go or do you want me to go? I'll, I'll go. Okay. Okay, so um, mine is one that is kind of an interesting one it's got its roots in kind of an algonquin um like a really old poem and then it's also kind of mixed with um stories that maybe the french canadians told as they visited different tribes so it is called the rough-faced girl and there's also a children's book so you may have read that version of it but the basic premise of it is kind of like if you've ever heard of the psyche and cupid tale or even like the original version of beauty and the beast it's kind of like that so there is a a widower in a village and he has three daughters and the eldest is really really mean she only cares about herself the middle one still pretty much cares about herself only but she's not quite as mean and then the youngest is a very sickly young girl and she's always being tormented by her older sister and most of the time her middle sister too, but sometimes the middle sister actually helps her out a little bit. Mm-hmm. So um, some of the things that the elder sister does is she'll like kind of push her into the fire or burn her face with hot coals or things like that. And so when the father comes home every day, He'll be like, what happened here? And the eldest sister will be like, oh, she fell in the fire again because she's an idiot. So mm-hmm. just ignore her. Oh. Hmm. So that's kind of the setup for that family. 
And then in that same village, there's also this, um, he's called the invisible being and everyone knows that he's supposed to be this extremely handsome, extremely just like the perfect kind of man. And he lives with his sister and his sister is the only person who can see him except for his future wife. And so all the women of the village try their luck to go down to the river and see if they can actually see him. And the sister will give them questions like, oh, okay, so what color is his bowstring? Or what is his sled made out of? Or different things like that. Mm -hmm. And so they'll typically lie and say, oh, yeah, it's totally like a piece of birch or something. And so then um, ultimately they're found out that they really can't see him. And so they're really not the one for him. And so like her two sisters try, they dress up in their finest things and they go. And once again, they can't see him either. And so this kind of continues until the youngest sister decides, you know what, I'm going to try. So she um, asks her sisters if she can borrow anything. They say no one, the middle one gives her maybe a couple beads. And so she actually goes out and she makes an outfit out of um, tree bark and different things and kind of decorates it herself. And she takes a pair of her father's old moccasins and then tries to make them work for her, even though they're way too big. And so she starts on her way towards the, um, the invisible one's home and everyone in town comes out and they're all jeering at her and they're saying, what are you doing? You're making a fool of yourself. And even her sisters are like, you're bringing shame upon us. Stop it. Come back right now. And she just keeps going. She won't let her spirit be broken. And when she makes it to the sister, the sister again asks her like, Hey, you know, do you see him? What does he look like? And so finally she does see him and she says, oh, his his bow is made out of the rainbow and um, something else is made out of the Milky Way and, and things like that. And so finally, then he realizes that he can see her, she can see him, and then they live happily ever after. Does this sound like this. a somewhat mild acid trip to anybody else? <laughs> Yeah. His bow tie is made out of like the Rainbow. galaxies. Yes. Man. Um, I mean, I, <laughs> I feel I, like it was on Reading Rainbow or one of those at some yeah, point. Yeah. I know it was a really popular kids' book because I think that's when I first heard it was when I was a kid. Well, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I had a little bit of trouble even following along with that story. <laughs> Uh, I think that it's it's great. And honestly, Jennifer, and I, I'm just going to jump straight to this point. I know, um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it as well, which is that I think this fits perfect with uh, a traditional animation aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could definitely see this as traditional animation. Because please, God, do not let coal burning happen in a live action children's oh, movie. Yeah. That will not be okay, and I will not accept it. But it's funny how, you know, all these really old stories, like I think this version of that story is from about mid-1800s, maybe late 1800s. Mm-hmm. And so all during that kind of time period, it's totally fine to have a kid's story where it's like, oh, yeah, they're being burned and singed and well, okay, their hair is burned off even. You the know? thing is, Jennifer, that most of the time with 
fairy tales from past centuries, especially 17th through the 19th centuries, these weren't really written for children. Mm-hmm. These were, it's, this is the case with Aesop's fables, which I know is a lot earlier than that, uh, with the Grimm's fairy tales. And it probably would be the case with this one as well, that these were cautionary tales, mostly written for adults. And in fact, stuff like Cinderella, the little mermaid, all of that stuff that would have been written for an adult audience in its original context. And so it's really, really interesting oh. how Disney has taken these and gone, okay, well, these are cautionary tales with really good lessons, but we can make them really good lessons for kids. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think we're getting all of our Disneyfication stuff is that they kind of have to tone these down if they want to put <laughs> right. them in front of a child audience. Nonetheless, um, if you if Disney really wanted to make an, a, a, like a, a more adult film, I wouldn't be opposed because I think that the story is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That was really cool, David. I had no idea. I thought it's. I've been so Disney, like only Disney, I guess, that I thought mm-hmm. there were always <laughs> fairy tales for children because in my mind, fairy tales are only for children. Um, that's really interesting. But that was such a weird listening to Jennifer tell the story. I was like, I feel like I don't know this, but I feel like this sounds so familiar. And I was like trying to anticipate each kind of each step that you were going to tell next and mm-hmm. I was like oh wait no I don't know this and then it you talked about the rainbow and I was like yes that that was something that I read <laughs> one time um but it sounds really cool I would really like to see this in an animation yeah uh, mm-hmm. especially like that reveal kind of moment when they both realize that they can see each other um with the rainbow yeah, maybe- and the milky way and like Something like, um, not Fantastic, what's it called? Fantasia. Like, maybe that sort of art style. Like, how they did the, I think it was Firebird Suite? I don't remember what the the music is called, but it's the one where there's all the, like, the forest fires and things like that. Like, I could totally see that kind of thing working well here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well. (laughs) Then... Zen, it's time for you to get off your rug and take the storyteller's chair. Okay. <laughs> wow. Um, now, everyone sit down. I have a little story. No. Okay. I have, I was thinking about two different ones, but I think one is starting to be known. So I will skip it. But the one I am ta- was going to talk about, have you guys heard of the Monkey King? Yes. Vaguely. Uh, remember. Maybe? Okay. And then there's a an- Okay, I'm going to do the other one then I'll I'll do a quick synopsis of the Monkey King. Um the Monkey King is an ancient Chinese um folklore. It is about a um monkey essentially um who has a bunch of superpowers. He's mischievous and I wouldn't say he's necessarily a force of evil, but he's more of a Loki type. Mm-hmm. And um he is for lack he is taught humility through um buddhism where he actually is forced to accompany a monk um and uh, accompany a monk and essentially protect him um during traveling so he as he this loki kind of character 
becomes as time goes by a good character and you know and it has all sorts of crazy things like essentially he can um he's got this little stick that he puts behind his ear it's about the size of a matchstick or the size of a toothpick but like um at will he can turn it into a fighting staff Mm -hmm. and then there's two other guys that i believe it's two I, i think it's two one guy's named piggy who accompanies him um an anthropomorphic pig which is perfect this mm-hmm. is disney right so an anthropomorphic um monkey yeah you gotta and, make it work and um they they accompany this character and as time goes by um forces of chaotic neutral become forces of good um, okay. one of the funny things is he wears a crown that buddha buddha has been put onto his head and it's kind of a variation of Pinocchio, you know, like when Pinocchio lies, his nose becomes long. Well, when this monkey misbehaves, the crown starts to crush his skull. Until oh. <laughs> he behaves. Wow. I mean, it's kind of like a it's like a dog collar zapper, you know? Mm. So, anyways, that's that's kind of the short one. Um, it's a great story. It's been told over and over again. There um I've seen a couple American versions of it, but none have been successful. But um, I'll got that's kind of a short explanation of it. Um, it's called journey to the West in a series of books. But the one I kind of really want to talk about is something called in this Japanese folklore. And I'm going to butcher this, but it's Hana Saka Jisan. And um, it's also um, sometimes there's been a modification of it called like the story of the old man who made withers trees into blossoms. And mm. it's about two neighbors. Okay. And one neighbor is just kind of, pretty much evil and greedy and then the other neighbors is a husband and wife and they are good and loving okay and um a super quick synopsis of it is that the wife and husband are um they don't have any children and they have a beloved dog and one day the dogs run around in the garden and um when they i forget does the dog essentially dig up the dig up something and they find a box of gold coins mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so the dog um because of love they get good fortune because of this dog and this evil neighbor who's greedy is like hey can i borrow your dog mm-hmm. it's oh, like no. they go sure <laughs> so the guy borrows the dog and um he's like well dig up some gold coins and then the dog ends up digging around his yard and essentially finds like a skeleton or something like that. Mm. I mean, like just bones or something like that. And the neighbor in a fit of rage kills the dog. <gasps> oh, I don't like the story. <laughs> well, I, I think I think they would have to modify it. It's like they don't kill it, but like something um, because he's so mad at it, some misfortune happens and the dog trips or something and dies. Yeah. Or something. You know what I mean, they had to do something like that. Yeah. So um, the husband and wife take the dog back. Mm-hmm. and they um bury it under a tree okay so uh, they bury it under a tree their beloved dog and that night the husband has a dream about the dog and the dog tells him it's like cut down the tree and make a bowl out of it and so the husband tells his wife it's like you know i had a i had a dream and you know fido told me to make a bowl out of this tree and the wife says well you know we should do it so they cut down the tree makes a beautiful bowl and when they put rice in it it turns into gold Ooh. you know 
And so the neighbor finds about, it's like, well, can I borrow the bull? Can I borrow the bull? And so he borrows, borrows the bull and, um, it, uh, turned the rice into like rotten food. Okay. So the, is it, it kind of ref, so what it's the same thing. It's like a dog, good neighbors, good fortune, bad neighbor, negative. Mm-hmm. Then, um, so like negative death, uh, like he finds bones means death. One neighbor receives gold, then the na- other neighbor receives rotting garbage. And so mm-hmm. then the neighbor burns it, you know, and turns it into ash. And then, so the, uh, again, the next day, the, the na- good neighbor has a dream about the dog again. And the dog says, okay, um, take the ashes of the burnt bowl and sprinkle them on cherry trees in his yard, you know, like the cherry blossoms. And when he did, um, the cherry trees bloomed. And um, uh, as that time, the local royalty passed by, was passing by and was just in awe of how beautiful the cherry blossoms were in this person's yard Mm -hmm. and um, gave them, gifts of like tokens of wow you must be someone who cares for cherry blossoms and trees and stuff like that you know let me i'm gonna bestow you upon gifts because you know you have given a gift to me because of the beauty of your your um your place Mm -hmm. and then of course the negative the 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 bad neighbor tries to do the same but what the ashes end up blowing into the royalty's eyes and um, the royalty throws him in prison. Ooh, good. <laughs> yeah. And then, and eventually, um, when this person is let out of jail, pretty much the village had had enough about this person and, and pretty much kind of figured it out. And the guy was banished good. for his wicked ways. Banished. Hmm. Yay. We're going to have to place an explicit label on this episode for all of the banishment, dog killing, dead body finding, <laughs> dead people. Burning. Just, yeah, burning face, <laughs> scars. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh. It's, not a, it's not a pretty episode, and it's not a pretty fairy tale. I wonder, Zen, how you imagine Disney taking on this particular fairy tale. Jeez, you mean as was whether it's an animation or a uh, or or live action? Well, yes, and also why you think this would be a good project for Disney to take on because it's it's quite remarkable. Uh, it's also rather, um, I think it's it's a it's a thing about. I think it's about if you're good, good fortune follows you. If you're bad, bad things happen to you. Right. I think it's kind of that kind of lesson. I mean, I guess lots of these things are all about lessons, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, good, good, bad, bad. And and it's kind of that positive and negative. And then I can see like every time uh, I just remember there's this old comic book. Um, uh, whenever Batman would come out, it, like all the scenes would be dark. And then whenever Superman would come out, all of a sudden all the skies would be blue. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I can see it filmed in that way is just whenever oh, the, yeah. you know the 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 bad guy takes the um borrows the dog and 
just even as the dog crosses the fence, all of a sudden the weather turns dark. Gray. Or gray, hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And then mm-hmm. every time, you know, and, and, and every time there was, like, the good neighbors are, like, talking about love or, like, just talking about their dog. And it's just like, oh, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, like, you hear birds chirping and stuff like that. Huh. So, you know, there would be like a visual, um, there would be visual cues about good and bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I could see it. So uh, then the question is, as you've already posed it, live action, traditional animated, stop motion, what do you want? Someone flip a coin. Not stop motion. <laughs> it would have to be animated or um, or live action. I, I want to see it animated personally, based on what mm-hmm. you're telling me. Like. The sort of thing about live action with these type of things is that it just never, to me, ends up looking as good. And you can be so much more visually creative with this type of, especially with this type of story, with live action direction than, or excuse me, with with animation than with live action direction. With live action, it requires a, an additional suspension of disbelief. Sure. When you're um, you're much more willing to believe when it's animated and already a fantasy. So right. Yeah. I, I wouldn't disagree with you. Makes sense to me. Nice. I like it. Yeah. And now everyone has four tales, five tales, really, that they can <laughs> go check out while they're still stuck at home. The <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah. So... That does it for this episode of Main Street UCI. And if you have any fairy tales or folk tales that you would love to see Disney recreate in a very respectful way, let us know and we'll go check them out. But for now, that does it for this episode. And thank you for listening. Yeah. And be sure to check out our previous episodes at ce.uci.edu slash podcast. And if you're looking for even more content, why not check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Main Street UCI. Nothing special there, just at Main Street UCI. And please, while you're there, why don't you give us a like, give us a follow, and send us your questions and future topic suggestions, because we love to hear from every one of you. And thanks again to our sponsor, the University of California, Irvine, Division of Continuing Education. You can find their career-boosting courses at ce.uci.edu. And once again, that's ce.uci.edu. And with that, we're going to see you next time. Woot woot! Bye! Bye! Yay, bye! <laughs>